Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark and this is our special Easter Bank holiday edition of the podcast, the 40th episode of the podcast indeed, which I'm not sure is really an achievement considering it has taken us two full years to get here. However, I'm looking forward to this one regardless. And of course, coming to you in the aftermath of an extraordinary, historic and truly unforgettable Masters, which of course neatly provides us with some momentum heading into the season ahead. And of course, to reflect on all that and more, I required some reinforcements. Two of my favourite podcast guests, and they come as a package. Like Morecambe and Wise... Abbott and Costello, and indeed, Tiger and Woods. It's Stuart Fuzzy Armstrong and Josh Jeffrey. So first of all, Josh, welcome back to the podcast. And how are you today? Thanks for having me, Kieran. Yes, very well, thank you. Yeah, I've just uh, come down from cloud nine after the weekend of sport. Um, it was a it was a busy one, wasn't it? With the football and the, the golf. And, and then a few days afterwards, it's just been crazy reading all about it. And it seems to have just died off now. So... Um, yeah, good time to talk about it, I think. So looking forward to it. I think so too. A bit more, a little bit of time to really reflect on what we saw last week from Augusta National. And we could talk about the football, but we'll leave that perhaps for another podcast. <laughs> but over to you now, Fuzzy. You've been here a few times before and uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you back once again. How are you today? Thank you very much for having me. 40th podcast, where they say life begins at the 40th podcast and now... I think I've now been on about 2% of your podcast, so thank you very much. Um, very good. I've, that's me already finished up for the, the Easter holidays and looking forward to some nice-looking weather. And, of course, um, last weekend was a, a tradition like no other where I received my uh, my course diary from my golf club and sat and spent most of Monday morning entering it all into my uh, works computer so that when, when I click and organise a meeting with my work, I can see if it's going to interfere with any medals or strokes coming up. Um, pretty sure it's not just me that does that, but uh, ho- hopefully. But we'll... So um, thanks for having me on yet again. Well, absolutely. Good to have you back. And that was a very neat and uh, mm. almost as if it's actually planned segue into talking about the season ahead, which, of course, will be a big part of this podcast. But firstly, we have to, of course, delve back to what we saw uh, from the Masters, which, of course, was just a, a remarkable finish, a story that um, has really transcended the game. I mean, when was the last time that we saw golf really on the front pages of newspapers and also really on news websites? I think actually in the aftermath of Tiger mm-hmm. winning the Masters, it was the number one story on the BBC website, which just shows you the, the, the immense pool that he has as a figure. And uh, what we saw from Augusta, of course, as a story, it's very difficult to kind of split the two up from being the story and the golf tournament. I think one's almost overtaken the other. And obviously everything we've really been reflecting upon, it has been around time and what he achieved there to come back from obviously really the depths of despair um, to get back to being a major champion again, something that I think really the any reasonable person would have certainly doubted. And even Tiger, of course, himself doubted that. We go back two years ago, at Augusta National when he went there for the Green Jacket, or for, sorry, the Masters Champions dinner. And he said to the guys at that dinner, he wasn't sure if he was ever going to come back and play. And that was two years ago. And here he is, a major yep. champion. And so much has happened in between then and now. So, But first of all, uh, Jeff, coming to you, talking about kind of the 
obviously it, it was such a sort of stratospheric ending and certainly the last six or seven holes when it became clear that Tiger had a great chance and then was leading the tournament and then it was his to lose that suddenly I mean in terms of the social media reaction it was quite remarkable as you would expect but just talk us through your reaction to watching Tiger play those last few holes and obviously win the tournament and then those just I mean extraordinary scenes on the eight. I haven't seen anything else like it before so Josh tell us about your reaction to watching Tiger win on Sunday well, just talking about the ending when he did win, it was the only time I've ever seen anything like it was when he won the Tour Championship mm. a few months back. It was like a carnival atmosphere, wasn't it, really? It's, it's great. And, you know, I felt like we'd kind of moved on in, in life. But, it, like, we didn't really want to admit it, but we were kind of preparing for life post-Tiger and we got these new young superstars. And kind of having him back, you could tell the kind of affection people had for him. It was, it was amazing to see, but... His um yeah, his performance over the last on the back nine was fantastic. I thought his iron play was just incredible, really, wasn't it? He didn't didn't miss many shots, did he? So it was um yeah, there was one he hit on fifteen, I think, the approach there. And it was just the sound of it. If you go back and I'm sure you can watch it somewhere online, but um just the sound of the strike of the ball is like, God, this guy is absolutely on his game here, just at the right time. Um, you know, and there was numerous debates I was having with people on on Twitter about the the tiger factor and does it exist anymore, or are these young guys super confident and will they be phased by him? And I think we saw, I mean, looking at what happened on the twelfth and and a couple other times there, you know, he, he still got his fear factor. The crowd noises must be terrifying for an op- opponent. Um, you know, there's such a such a huge support for him compared to any other player. It was just. Um, yeah, it was it was quite something, wasn't it? I don't think I've seen a sporting event like that in in many years. I can't, if ever, to be honest. No, it really was quite incredible, and I think that it was a celebration at the end. I've never seen such a a release of energy on a golf course before. Yeah. I mean, just the the sheer it's everything. The last ten, eleven years, just the weight of all that suddenly exercise he was back for some people it's yeah. a redemption story but for some people it's kind of a revenge story too you can look at it either way you know has tiger got his own back on the game that tried to bury him in many ways all the, all the rather yeah. pious behavior after the scandal of course and that rather humiliating tv apology that was enforced upon him so just, which, yeah. which, 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 i feel like did, did you not think though like i was glad that he had a bit of a cushion <laughs> gun at the last hole because i'm not sure many we could have handled him needing a par to win or something it was you, yeah. do you not think like you know especially when that second shot the iron shot came up way short it was kind of a bit oh is he okay here but <laughs> did you not think there was a moment i thought yeah. what's what's happened it was but, a very strange second shot i have to say which everyone's kind of forgotten all about it but i mean what was it? <laughs> yeah they have I mean, it was very strange and of course had kepka hold that putt in the last and suddenly oh my yeah God. exactly it could kepka yeah. become you know, obviously he's someone who a great player, but people don't really care too much about him. But had he beaten Tiger, think of the villainy he would have had. It would be, oh, I know. It would be Stuart St. Times one hundred. It would be incredible stuff. It's <laughs> uh, over to you now, Fuzzy. And obviously, you know, Josh has touched on there. Tiger's performance in the back nine, the way he kind of brought the fear factor back, the kind of the intensity and the focus. Whereas the other guys, they kind of wobble, of course, on the twelfth most spectacularly. But just firstly, Fuzzy. 
what was your watching the obviously a great sporting event there, a great occasion, but watching that final that finish to the Masters, you know, what was your emotion watching that as a golf fan, first of all? Well, to start off, it, it felt slightly weird because of the timing of it, because of the the, the three players on the, the pair group. Um, that actually worked okay, but they, they obviously they brought, they brought it forward because of the weather forecast and the, the radar and the storms afterwards showed that that was the, the correct decision. So uh, having them out in three balls didn't feel weird, but having the timing of it just wasn't, it didn't feel like your traditional masters. Maybe it's because of, you know, it's a tradition like in the world. But my tradition is I normally sit in the dark. I, I have no idea why I sit in the dark, but it's always good to watch the masters in the dark because the colours come through so much. You do it enough yeah, yeah. fuzzy, don't you? That's a, a regular thing. <laughs> Do you not do you not think though it was kind of for the good? But how many Monday mornings after a Masters have you gone into work absolutely <laughs> knackered? Because you because it's not just then you just then you've got if it's an exciting one you've got an hour or so afterwards where you can't sleep because you're buzzing about what's happened. So it that might was, have been for the best that it, that it was like that. Well, I, I, I do West Coast US Opens and I'm up to t- t- two, three o'clock in the morning. So a Masters up until half past 11, 12 o'clock is, is it's fine. no problem for me. Nothing, but, is it? but it's a tradition for me to stay up with my boys and my, my kid, my oldest is 13. We normally stay uh-huh. up and watch the Masters. Um, and so we were sitting and we only turned it on at the back name because we were busy during the afternoon. So we got dinner out and we, we turned on the telly. It was like half five and I was just teeing off on 10. So to have the whole thing open, finished by like half seven at night and then you're just sitting there going oh well, well what, what do we do now because normally we just go to bed and now it's, it's still daylight out there and um, I'm still sober so um, <laughs> that that didn't feel like your usual masters to me but uh, apart from that um, uh, and then it was the whole thing about this, this was Tiger's first major which was live in social media and it, mm. only, it took me a couple of days to actually realise that because I, I could swear that I've talked about Tigers majors on social media before and commenting on Facebook and Twitter. So actually witnessing it in, on Twitter and everybody losing their heads was, was amazing. And I'm still shaking my head around that because I'm sure... <laughs> maybe it's a bit of uh, just rewriting history in your brain, but I, I'm sure this has happened before, maybe. So, yeah. um, and just to watch... I, mean, I, I actually I'm normally quite a heavy tweeter during golf, but I was actually very light during um, during the back nine. Um, I was enjoying that a bit more just watching it, but I also really enjoyed people's tweets. And uh, when the final putt went in, uh, and Kieran, you jumped the gun by about a good good minute. You put out this lovely tweet, like, very very pretty bland, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, he wrote that one ten years ago. That <laughs> he did, and when you did when you tweeted it and he tweeted it, and I was just thinking, oh god, I hope he doesn't miss this part. <laughs> and you put out this lovely tweet, and the, the only thing that the the one phrase that kept going through my mind when Tiger won was the the phrase, and I'm not sure the American commentator that said it, but it was back in 1997, and it was a win for the ages, and that was the only thing mm. that kept going through my mind, and that was the only words I could tweet at the time, because. Mm-hmm. It was because here we are 22 years later and Tiger Woods is a major champion again. And it's something that you always thought would happen, but he didn't. And it's this is quite hard to put into, into words because looking at the depth he's been in with the... And I, I don't actually think the, the marital problems he had, to give it a word, was such a... 
a downer. I mean, he didn't win majors, but he still. I mean, twenty thirteen, he was still FedEx champion and the the PGA Tour Player of the Year, and it just didn't happen to win yeah. majors. So I don't think those had that great of an effect on it. It just happened to go for a bad run of not winning majors. It was mainly the back problems, and that led on to the chipping yips, and then he's not practiced putting as much because he's still to this day struggling to get the ball at the hole, and he's not putting as much. So. Um, it's just to come back from that back injury and should we be surprised because Davis Love III had the exact same surgery, a few other golfers have had the same surgery, so for Tiger to come back and win a major and maybe the Masters, the Masters of all the majors is probably Tiger's, uh, not easiest, but the, the easiest one for him to win because he knows the course, mm-hmm. he loves the course, it fits his eye and it's a limited field event, well I'm saying a limited field that's still got the Top fifty in it, so in relative terms, but um, so to if it wasn't the Masters, it would have been the Open, which again is it's dependent on if he gets to the right side of the draw with the weather. But for Tiger to win the Masters, I think we all kind of thought it would happen, but maybe didn't quite think it would happen. But and. And now it's happened, I don't think we know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, and this yeah. is where it's leading on to, is this as good as Jack's 1986 win? Because if you, if you, go, back to, if you go back to Jack in 1986, by well, that time he'd he hadn't given up golf, but he had better things on his mind. He was really taking off as a, a golf course designer and he had the, the family to deal with. And uh, he just wasn't putting in the same amount of practice for different reasons to Tiger. Tiger is unable to practice as much because of the injury, but Jack just had other distractions at the time so I'm trying to trying to think of similarities and differences between Jack's win and Tiger's win because naturally you're going to draw similarities between them and it's just different I went back and actually watched Tiger's sorry Jack's win on Tuesday night and the the way Jack played that back nine in 86 is very similar to the way that Tiger played the back nine on on Sunday but it's really it's going to take a few years to for us to work out how significant this win is going to be. Is this, is this going to be a standalone win, or is this going to be part of Tiger going back and winning? Uh, so just getting back on that horse and winning major after major, and then challenging Jack for for number eighteen. Well, that's so, a, it's a good point because like there is such thing as a twilight win, isn't there? And we've seen it a lot. Ernie Els did it, and Darren Clark did it, and a few others have where they win quite late, you know, kind of about 43, whatever age. Uh, and you, I just hope, yeah, Phil, yeah, as well. So I just hope it's not that. And the way he played, the way he's swinging, putting, everything, the way is he seems happy. He seems, you know, as, uh, he seems very focused. You know, his, his body language was absolutely amazing throughout. And yeah, you, you hope that it will kind of be a springboard to, to greater things, but time will tell. Well, the way, the way the, when he, um, if I take you back to the 11th hole, um, and uh, Molinari was uh, in the trees on the right hand side, and so sort of, he played this shot that curved around. He, he played it towards the water with a, a, a draw, and it caught one of the bumps in front of the green. It played up beautifully onto the, the green. Mm-hmm. Tiger was a bit more right and he found this alleyway through the trees and he played this absolutely gorgeous sort of cut shot that went onto the green. And that's that's where I think things came undone for Molinari because Molinari 
I think that shot gave him a lot of confidence to win a major. You normally have something that goes really well, a sort of lucky shot or just a shot that you hit that you think, I cannot lose from here. And I think that was Molinari's shot on the 11th. So when he stood in the 12th tee, um, other guys at Poulter, Krepka, they were a couple of shots behind and they felt that they had to push it and they were going for the eight iron and they were going straight for that pin yeah. and ended up in the water. Molinari was still two shots in the lead at that time and Molinari didn't have to play that shot and I'm still not sure to this day why he decided to go for that pin but I think it was because of how he played the 11th and it just gave him this confidence that I can birdie this hole and I can bury Tiger here. And the reverse happened. He put it in the water and Tiger just played the eight or nine, I'm not sure what it was, to the heart of the green, which is exactly what Modern Ali done. And after that, um, the guys were chasing Tiger and Tiger was just able to put the foot down. He, he loves played, being chased, doesn't he? That's the thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The way he played 13 and he birdied 13, I think he birdied 14 and then he played 15 absolutely beautifully. I, I, he played the second into the green. I don't know why it did. It, where he hit it in that green, it always runs down to that hole. And for some reason, it just stuck up there because that, that would have been an ideal eagle opportunity yeah. for Tiger. And by then, he was he was absolutely in the stride as if Tiger just remembered who he was. And, yes, and, that was it. And yeah. I can play this game. It was as if he wasn't the tired Tiger from the Ryder Cup and he wasn't this Tiger that's chasing from behind. And the, he just that shot into 18 just sort of... Um, just was the absolute celebration that this is Tiger, I am back and this is how I play golf and from that, I mean, after yeah. he got his tap-in birdie there he's driving 17, this is when Tiger he now had a two-shot lead by this point and at this point you're expecting the wheels to t- fall off Tiger, he's not the best driver over the ball and the tee shot in 17 was probably the best tee shot I've ever seen him hit there and it was just like he's back and he's Tiger 2004 and he's at peak yeah. and then as as you said Kieran the, the, the shot the second shot in T18 I've absolutely no, absolutely no idea what happened there I was just like what's he doing it's one of my shots <laughs> and he hit to be fair though like under pressure he hit a really good pitch there a little chip it was almost a pitch wasn't it it was that far out but um yeah, but okay. yeah, I, I I was impressed by the composure there to do that, especially given the kind of some some of the dodgy pitches and chips he's hit over the last kind of four or five years. Would that come back to in the back of his mind? But he kind of he's, he's such a strong character, isn't he? he? Just you know, and he was yeah, to, totally confident over it. Well, you know, the, th- the thing is, it comes back to what I think we almost saw at the weekend there. What made Tiger was Tiger Woods, where I mean. I think it was Jeff Ogilvie who spoke about this a few years ago, one of the most articulate and engaging figures in the game. And he described it quite well as that there were guys who hit the ball better than Tiger, drove the ball better than Tiger, hold as many putts as Tiger, but somehow he won everything. And it's that intangible, that between the ears, that intent, that, that personality, the intensity, whatever you can call it, you can't even put a word on it. And he seemed to find that again, where his focus impressed me the whole week at the Masters. He he looked, he turned up. You know, last year, Tiger came mm. back to the Masters and he seemed happy to be there. This time he was there to win. And none of this being jovial with the guys around him. He was there very focused, very intense. And he played superbly. You know, Josh, you touched on the iron play. I know it's a somewhat archaic stat, but you know, Tiger led the field in greens and regulation all four days. And his iron play really all year has been by far the strongest part of his game. 
and he has so many chances, you know, so many opportunities, and obviously the knowledge he has of that course is superb. But it was a very strange final round where I felt the front line was very tense. It was very, it was a real weight to everything, and it wasn't just because of the heavy atmosphere with the, with the storm. It did, it did feel to be a lot of tension there. I'm not quite sure if it was just the weight of the the moment, uh, and it just seemed that. Guys were kind of not making a move, and Tiger was there just waiting, biding his time. And then when they all made that mistake, of course, so yeah. spectacularly on the 12th, I mean, the big cat pounced there. He knew that was his moment. And sport is so often about taking your opportunities, and that's what he did. You know, the you know, good par save there, then the birdies at 13, 15, 16, and he knew what to do. And the thing is with Molinari, you know, Molinari, of course, was imperious over those first three days. 49 holes, bogey free, which is, of course, is just astonishing. I mean, that's laughable almost how good that is. Um, but at the same time, on Sunday, I thought there was a real vulnerability to the way he played that yeah. front night. He was missing an awful lot of greens, an awful lot of shots. He was getting up and down more often than not, but yeah. eventually you can't keep affording to do that. And I go back yeah. to Jordan Spieth. Yeah, it was very similar to that, wasn't it? Yeah, Spieth was so far ahead of the field, but he was making an awful lot of good saves. And eventually you just felt that one moment, one bad swing was going to cost him. And of course, that hole more than any other is the one where it grabs you. And at that point, you know, Mull and I was never going to come back from it. And you know, as a Tiger refound that focus again that we've we've seen him been gradually getting it back over the past year we go back to the open last year at Carnoustie when he of course led going into the back nine ironically of course playing with Molinari who won that Claret Jug and then at the USPG the great run he had on at Bell Reeve in the last day denied by an inspired Kepka and now he's here and he's beaten both of those guys so it's a great kind of the, the circle has turned or the tide has turned as it were to get my uh, analogies right, and um, it's, too, it's too late in the day for that sort of thing. I'm trying too clever, but um, but yeah. So it was it was fascinating to watch Tiger kind of refine himself. But you know, we come back to the trying to place the enormity of it into context, and it's as you touched on there, fuzzy, very challenging to do so. And you mentioned the social media element of it, and people for years have always said, "When would you have liked Twitter to exist?" But for Tiger '97, Jack '86, this sort of thing. Now we Never. have it. <laughs> yeah, now we have it. That's it here. I mean, that's it. We have, we have, it's Tiger's 2019. That is our moment. This is this generation's moment. And I'm going to ask you now, Josh, a kind of question about Tiger. And the thing is, from your two perspectives, this is why we have you here, is even though I quite often sound like the oldest person in the room, I'm really not. You know, and Jen, you were a teenager when Tiger won in 1997. And Fuzzy, you were doing whatever it is adults do at that time. Um, so reflecting on that journey, having seen Tiger Josh from the very mm. beginning, yeah. all the ups and downs, <laughs> I kind of compare it to golf's equivalent of the Truman Show. We go back to Tiger when he was three years old, yeah, getting the Mike yeah. Douglas show alongside Bob Hope and Jimmy Stewart, you know, two great cultural icons there. We've seen Tiger grow up. We've seen him rise through the USGA, winning the US Amateur all those yeah. times, winning his first major, dominating, changing the game. When he won in 97, Ben Crenshaw, the great Masters champion, described it as being like a passing. An era had ended, a new one had begun, the game had changed forever. We saw him win dominantly at Augusta, at the US Open, of course, in 2000, at the Open at St Andrews. All the wins ever since then, that almost animalistic uh, determination to win the US Open at uh, Torrey Pines in 2008. And then we saw him, of course, plunge to the bottom. Below 1,000 in the rankings, eight knee and back surgeries, you know, all the embarrassment, all the shame, the DUI arrest only two years ago. So, Josh, with all that said, 
please put it into context for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, where does this, where does this rank? Oh, it's hard, isn't it? I think, I mean, in terms of a purely golfing point of view, I would say the 2000 US Open will probably never be beaten as a as a performance and if he doesn't rank that as his best major win i'd be surprised he, he might not but you know from a from a fan point of view that was that was the the greatest to win by 15 shots around pebble beach uh, he might do that in june you never know but it's, it's unlikely <laughs> um that so i'd say but in terms of an overall I think this is on a par with his 97 Masters win. That was that was what launched it. And it's right, the game has changed forever. Prize funds, crazy. Look at equipment now. And, you, you know, you look at what the equipment's like now. It wouldn't be like it is without him winning that Masters, I don't think. Mm-hmm. That just kind of gave everyone a kick up the bum uh, in terms of improving equipment, uh, making things go further, making the ball spin better than than a torbalata as it was back then so there was kind of that had a huge impact i think this one is almost yeah i yeah it'd be in his top three majors i would have thought and in terms of context um impact on the game of golf i think is probably as big as 97 you know i think it finishing early helped but it was like you said about the front page of the newspapers when was the last time we saw that? I can't remember. Maybe a Ryder Cup win somewhere, but it yeah. was on the front of every paper apart from the Daily Mail, who opted for <laughs> the tips on how to cure diabetes, which is interesting, interesting take. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of yeah. I, I would put it right up there. It's hard to yeah. It, it all depends what happens from now. I mean, what happens to participation numbers? What happens to kind of interest in the sport? You would think, with him being back, fit, healthy, the the TV viewing numbers and participation numbers will shoot up again. But who knows? It, it's not ninety seven where he was a new kid on the block. It's he's four, he's forty three. You know, Stuart's kids had probably never seen him. Well, two of them weren't alive. Well, yeah, I, I actually tweeted that um, during. Tiger's last um, Masters in 2007 that my wife was pregnant with my <laughs> eldest and that's my, my eldest is now in second year and playing for his school and playing for Emphyshire so he's you um, mean, and, I mean you, get, you get your kids age wrong there 2005 and you're, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah my eldest is 13 so last Masters the last of Tiger's uh, majors before yeah. four days ago was the 2008 US Open when my kid was like, uh, two years old. Yeah. So it's Tiger's not within his living memory. So for the kids to exactly why. But what, what I'm interested to know what they thought of of watching it on Sunday. What was their kind of reaction to what um, was happening? Well, they, they they sort of saw me getting excited, but they didn't. Uh, they know Tiger. Tiger to them is the same as Jack to me, and maybe why my dad's. I remember my dad getting just excited about Jack winning '86, but it didn't really mean that much to me at the time. I was uh, nine years old at the time, so very similar to my middle son. Um, and it's it's a case of maybe they. I don't think they get it now. Maybe in a couple of years' time, it will give them a bit of perspective about what I, this victory means to Tiger, which is where I come to from the earlier saying I don't even think us now knows what this this victory means because mm. I think we need a few more years to realise what type of victory it was for Tiger. But 
Fortag himself, if you go back and watch his celebration again on 18, and you see him putting the ball in, and you see him do the, the standard sort of tiger fist pump, but a couple of seconds after that, just watch him, and he does this sort of really primeval sort of guttural scream that comes straight from his soul, and I'm not, I'm not sure if I've actually seen Tiger do something like that. And then after, afterwards, you see uh, the kids, uh, sorry, the, the TV coverage and the media coverage is obsessed with the, the hug of Sam, which is, uh, sorry, with Charlie, which is unfortunate because his daughter Sam was there, and they've kind of glossed over that as well. Um, but this... Yeah, they tried to airbrush the daughter out of everything, didn't yeah, they, in the media, and that's a bit like... It's not sitting nice with me, that one, but this no. this victory is very different for Tiger. So maybe when I when I rate Tiger's wins, I would go for the 97 Masters, 2000 US Open, the 2000 Open where he didn't miss a bunk at St Andrews, yeah. and the 2008 uh, famous US Open where they won on the so-called broken leg. Um, but yeah. if that's from a golfing point of view, from Tiger's point of view, I think he might rate that differently because this... The, totally different sort of emotive context to this victory for Tiger especially having his kids there if he really felt like he let the kids down at uh, Carnoustie when he, he flew them over here and then they didn't see him win and I think he maybe thought he was a bit of a failure there and that's not what Tiger likes to feel like so I think that's maybe been the kick up the pants he's he needed yeah. um, and uh, I now reached one of those moments in podcasting we've been talking for five minutes, I can't remember what the question was. So I, I actually think like that Carnoustie experience though, uh, the Carnoustie experience probably helped him this time because I felt that was his first time really back in the heat of things. And, you know, overall he did pretty well. He held up well. Um, he just got beat by a guy who played a phenomenal round there. Um, and then the Tour Championship was the win, which kind of, kind of cemented that self-belief, wasn't it? And then... So it shouldn't really have been a surprise that he he was kind of challenging and competing for this Masters, but he seemed to kind of slip under the radar a bit. Did you not think going into the week? I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, everyone was talking about Rory and everyone was talking about yeah, yeah Brooks even Kepka kind of slipped under the no, radar a little. No one talked about him at all. But yeah. uh, at least that's what he was trying to make out. Yeah, exactly. The egg. Yeah. <laughs> He's rather uh, you know chipping his shoulder about the whole thing, but um, actually I think the tiger and it's a good point there. And also I think even though it wasn't the greatest quality golf, when he beat Rory in the match play three weeks ago, yeah, yeah, head to head, you know, a tense you know situation there, and he was able to see off one of the stars of today. Mm. And I think getting into that kind of Sunday mentality, that final round focus, and he had that I mean so brilliantly. At the Masters, and we're obviously trying to rank you know, Tiger's wins. It's a bit of a, a folly thing to do, obviously, because you know they're all so different because it's such a long period of time, and he's won them in different ways, and he's won them in different periods of his life, and maybe this one's the most personally significant for him as yeah. an individual. Whereas, as you said there, Josh, with the golfing performance, I think the 2000 Opens and both American and the uh, the Open Championship, I should say, the Open Championship. Don't, don't say British, yeah, you do. Yeah. That would be controversial. But, um, yeah, so that was probably the best golf that anyone's ever played. Uh-huh. Um, but this, is, this was different. And uh, I feel that, you know, Jaime Diaz, the very respected golf writer, who's followed Tiger really from the beginning and written about him probably more than anyone else, and he ranks this one as number one. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. I, but I wonder whether that's a bit of recency bias in that. 
and also trying to, trying to get clicks on websites and sell new oh, things. Not that, that not that anyone would ever do that, but no, no, of course not. but you do. No, you do wonder whether it is a bit of recency bias, don't you? Because it's just happened; it's fresh in your memory. But you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, here's having... a sorry, here's a question for you now, for for you, Josh. You obviously we're talking about Tiger, and he had become. I think in more recent years, people would always say, why are we watching Tiger? He's, he's, he's washed up. He's done. Why are we still talking about him? And he became, as we've seen Rory and Jordan Spieth and these players, Dustin Johnson, jo- Dustin Thomas plays so well. Tiger for a lot of years was kind of side figure in the shadows where he'd, he'd turn up, he'd withdraw, he'd be injured, another yeah. surgery, he'd have a DUI, really kind of very negative headlines. Uh, a guy who was talking about three or four years ago, not being able to even walk and, but but for some reason we still we couldn't really let him go. Yeah. Um, as as a, as a as a as a golfing public, as a media, whatever it might be. So why do you think for for all these years when Tiger was obviously at his lowest, why did we as a kind of a golfing public, why did we pine for him? Why did we never quite give up on him? Ah, oh, I, I I for me it's about can it can he catch Jack Nicholas that oh, that. That's why I would. That's how I feel about it. It's just having one person in your generation that you're alive at the time to see, kind of has got this chance to to create history. And I I felt it's partly that. I, also, like he, he's very exciting, isn't he? he? He can pull off the shots at the right moment. So I think people kind of miss that. There, you know, Rory's amazing and he can do some incredible stuff. But has he quite got that kind of X factor that Tiger has? Uh, maybe not. I mean, you know, I'm sure the sacrifices Tigers had to make to actually to get to that level. But um, yeah, there's probably a few reasons behind it. But kind of his legacy would be would be one of the things. And also not wanting him to finish his career retiring yeah. because of an injury would that would have been the saddest end to one of the greatest sportsmen ever career yeah. ever, wouldn't it? So um, absolutely, it's, yeah, it's probably a combination of things. I would have. Josh, I think that last one is the one that sticks with me. Is I think people, whether you like Tiger Woods or not, and he's not always been the most warm and embracing of figures, has to be fair, it's fair to say. But I think everyone sort of felt that his career deserved a better ending than what it looked like it was going to have, which would be this very isolated figure who really had not just lost control of his game, but lost control of his life and is physically unable to actually play. And it, it was a very sad sight to see Tiger turn up and collapse to his knees in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and, yeah. and so on at Phoenix with the chipping yips and shooting 85. I mean, it was extremely sad to watch. And now for me going forward, whatever happens from here, whether Tiger wins five majors or no majors or whatever it might be, for me, he now has that valedictory triumphant final chapter to yeah. his career, that bookend where obviously it could be even better and it could be the start of something but think, you know, realistically right now you know, we don't know what he's going to do in the future how long he'll be healthy, how long he'll, how long he'll be at that level I think we also forget in some <laughs> ways that Tiger is 43 years of age, he's 44 at the end of this year, he doesn't look it until he takes the hat off of course and then he looks much older than that but uh, I'm afraid Tiger I mean the hair, jeez, come on yep. you've got got a draw line somewhere but yeah. um i mean he, he looks five years younger than what he did five years ago yeah, yeah. He, he looks great where you mentioned phil or ernie or darren those guys you know no disrespect they looked older they looked as if they had their best days behind them you know tiger looks physically <laughs> as good as ever um 
Yeah, sorry. Kieran, if I, if you're, you're on the posing question, so, so let's see if you can answer this. Uh, what, from a golfing point of view, what do you think was Tiger's lowest point? From a golfing point of view, uh, I, think it, I think it would have to be yeah. the, the chipping yips in Phoenix. I think that was just when he went around there and shot 85 on a golf course, it really isn't that challenging. And he looked utterly done as a golfer. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't even... He's had, he's had physical issues, obviously. He's collapsed in golf courses, fallen to his knees, but there he looked done. So from a from a golfing perspective, that would be his lowest point. And I also actually, incidentally as well, I think the the last Open here at St Andrews, and I know I like to mention St Andrews occasionally, but I think he looked a golf course he dominated on. He loved he loves the old course. You know, he came here and he played terribly on the first hole. You know, yeah, don't even start on the first hole in the old course, but. He found, <laughs> He found the burn with his second shot. He just, he duffed it in there, poor tee shot. He missed the cut by a mile. And for me, that was also a low point uh, to come to the, a venue he knew so well and had done so well at before. And he looked like a total has-been. So if they see this guy now, and what we've seen really for the past 12 months is just an extraordinary uh, transformation. And I think also personally, uh, to kind of preempt another question perhaps, it would be the DUI arrest. That was a very, that was a low yeah. moment. That, that was a devastating moment. For, for me, that, that was the moment I thought he is not just done, yeah. but he's in trouble. Like, he's in trouble here. Just, I, I don't, we shouldn't really dwell on the personal stuff given what's just happened, but I think it is important, isn't it, to put it into context. But I thought at that point, there's not, not a chance he's going to play golf again. No. Yeah, given the you know the famous photo of him, you know, he looked awful and stuff. Um, Tony Johnson, I, I read a tweet of him the other day, and it was it, he was asked, "Do you think he'll come back?" Around that time, I think, and he said, "No effing chance." They're his <laughs> words, not mine. He, and he said, "Sometimes being wrong is a sheer pleasure." Mm-hmm. And I think that's so so right. There's there's a few people I've seen who've been, "I never doubted him. I never doubted him." But delusional. It's delusional. It was it. You know, to any rational person, it was delusional. Oh, so, to, to, answer, to answer the question, no, rationality is overrated these days. Apparently, no one likes. Yeah, to you don't need you don't need to be rational these days. Do you? No. To, to answer that myself, um, I if you remember back to Dubai, was it two thousand and six oh. in Dubai? It, it just gone through this spell of um, it just seems so very fragile. Where he would uh, turn up for an event, hurt his back, and then go off for another six months. And then Dubai, he done this. I think he must have got Pierre's money, and then he done this video flying over Dubai about yeah, it's yeah. good to be back. And then he, he lasted about three, four holes, and then he shot, what did he shoot seventy five first round, and then the wind blew, and he to, pulled out. Is that right? I, 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 I thought he only lasted nine so holes, to be honest. But my, my memory's my memory's not good. But uh, that for me was the lowest point because at that point it just seemed that every time that Tiger came back, he would just go off with another injury. And um, I've suffered from a, a sore back myself, and mostly self-inflicted. The last time was uh, fourteen months ago. I fell ice skating on my backside and ended up in painkillers for the best part of ten months. And I ended up having to need physio because. Because of this, the pain in your back, and then you're expecting a pain in your back, you, you end up changing your posture and the way you move and the way you bend down to pick up a ball at the hole that you don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. And that ended up causing more problems than the back pain itself. And I ended up having to go to physio, and the woman was just saying it was because of the way you're standing, the way you're trying to protect yourself. And that's pretty much what caused Tiger's chipping yips, where he wasn't getting in the reps, as he likes to say, or he was trying to do a move to avoid the pain. And yeah. And I'm just sorry to say, Josh, but you've got quite a a good knowledge of yips, (laughs) and and you and you know how psychological it can be. So that is actually one of the 
biggest things I think he's overcome the yips. But in a in a way, it's because normally when people have like the putting yips, um, they're unable to sort of separate themselves psycho psychologically from having the yips. But Tiger has been able to do that, and I think from Tiger's mind, he's able to swing so much freely. He's managed to forget all that bad muscle memory. He's managed to compartmentalise the the chipping yips into saying, well, I've now had my back fixed. Um, the chipping yips was a different me. I can just package that away and I'm now the different Tiger Woods. And this is what, what, what we saw in the back nine of Augusta where that, that again, I'm going to come back to that shot he hit in 17th. I think that was the best shot he's hit all tournament. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it just made the hole so much easy, didn't it? Stress free par, wasn't it? Really, in the end, that was that was twenty three Tiger. That was sorry, twenty thirteen Tiger. That was twenty two thousand four Tiger. That was not two thousand and twelve or sorry, two thousand and sixteen Tiger. Yeah, it's as if he's he's totally forgot the back pain, which is utterly amazing. And I think, mm-hmm. um, from a psychological point of view, this is maybe when talking about this victory in the future. Um, this will be one of his best ever because of what he's managed to forget about um, <laughs> what he went through. Yeah, I think also as well, I think it's pretty clear that you're given the gap, first of all. You're 11 years since his last major. Um, I mean, it's huge 14 years since his last Masters. I mean, that golf course was even changed since then to try and proof it for Tiger, which apparently seemed to have worked for many years, but he found a way to overcome that, of course. But I think we, we, will, we will never quite know and for some years now just how significant this win was. But clearly it was a... Obviously every major is historic and is memorable and they all stand out for well, more than others for different reasons. But this was something that was genuinely a, a sporting moment. And uh, we haven't seen that in golf for a very, very long time, really since Tiger at his absolute peak. And, I mean, he beat... Such a strong leaderboard. Let's just quickly touch on that. You know, in second place, you had Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Xander Schofle. Uh, you had Jason Day, Tony Fino, Francesco Molinari, the rather, the rather forgotten Webb Simpson, Patrick Cantley, who got into the lead and then seemed to realise where he was and fell away from there, and also Ricky Fowler and John Ram. You know, he beat an elite leaderboard. And, and so many guys who would have grown up idolising Tiger Woods. And I feel that Tiger being back at this level elevates them too. You know, the spotlight it brings to these new guys as well is important. And they'll, they'll be going, up to, going head-to-head with him in the years to come. And um, I say, we don't know whether this is going to be the beginning of something else or maybe the kind of the, the end of this kind of comeback and uh, what's next. But I, do, I say, I don't think it really matters. I feel that we now have the chapter that, we, that, that he deserved. And I think almost we as a viewing public wanted because i've watched this story as i say really for decades it's the ups and downs and it's been the most compelling of soap operas and i feel that the those scenes on the 18th at augusta were certainly you know operatic crescendo i mean incredible and uh something that we will certainly remember for a very long time and it's kind of moving on now to the next part of the podcast it, it really takes us into the golf season where as we know so much kind of paint this classic sunny you know image of britain back in the day but when we back in the day when sandy lyle or nick fowl were winning the masters kids in the uk and people would watch the masters on tv at night and then they'd go out and play golf the next day and all be wonderful and spring would be here and the golf season was back and the courses were open and twilight golf had returned um but 
you know, it's for you coming to you now, Josh. You know, obviously you've grown up with the game from a very young age, and I imagine that the mm. that the Masters is always kind of a, a focal point to kick off the season. It's when the Masters is here, that means golf is back and out and play and be there all day and kind of playing regularly once again at home. Um, was the Masters for you that inspiring catalyst at the start of every season? And you know, do you think that those vibes will be returned for this year? Yeah, no, it definitely was. Yeah, no, I, I, it was kind of it almost signified the time where preferred lives stopped as well, didn't it? So it was it was kind of a good it was a good time of the year. The greens started to get better, and yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I was a dead keen golfer till you know only a few years ago, really. So. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it is it is the start of the season, isn't it? I know they try and they put the players' championship early, and you've got the Arnold Palmer and the, you know the 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 amazing events in Hawaii that keep you up till four a.m. But um, it's really now that that kicks off the season. I know, yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of this year, no, nah, I mean I've got a six-month-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter, so my golfing commitment isn't isn't as high as it should be. Um, and obviously I work in golf as well. So, um, so yes. being around it so often, it just doesn't give you much time to, to actually get the, the clubs out. I've played twice this year, the old course, which is very nice. And Gullen number two, which is just down the road from where I live and which is a fantastic course. I'm sure you're the, the golf shake, um, enthusiasts will, will be aware of it. So yeah, so I've had two games on two good courses and, I, if, you know, if I can get in another six or seven games this year, I'll be over the moon. I'm not sure if it'll happen, but I really will be. So, well, 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 fingers crossed. But I think it's fair to say that you mentioned obviously having your young children and so on. And even though you know Tiger's obviously hearkening back to his glory days of 1997, but I think it's fair to say that you are in a little bit of a different yeah. place than what you were back in '97. Life is very different. I am. It's just you know what? It's just time, isn't it? Yeah. Really. I mean. Golf takes, you know, if you're taking half an hour to get somewhere, then four hours and then half an hour back, that's, that's, that's a long time to spend doing something and, and leaving um, leaving my wife with, with two, <laughs> two challenging children. They're not challenging, but it is challenging, the situation. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'd be all for mm. kind of nine holes here and there. And, I mean, actually, Stuart, you, you were talking, yep. talking to you earlier about your, the, the new medal um, format, your golf club, so yes. it kind of probably leads on nicely to for you to talk yes. us about your yearly plans with with three very keen golfers in your house, aren't you? Well, welcome to my world um, where I've I have no idea. I've got such an understanding wife where I've managed to maintain my club membership through my my thirties, even despite having a, a young family. Um, but um, one of Obviously, one of the problems I've got is I cannot disappear on a Saturday and for six hours and play a medal because by the time you drive to the course and um, my, my typical is uh, untied shoelaces and bacon all hanging out the mouth when I'm on the first tee, but um, you should really spend a little time more than that warming up. But once you play an 18-hole round and then back and you have a have a drink in the clubhouse afterwards, you're, you're, it's the best part of a Saturday and you just can't do that, especially when you've got such a young family. So most of my rounds these days is uh, nine, ten holes, depending on, on the course layout. And now it's good that the boys are coming out with me as well. Um, so what's, as Josh alluded to there, what's actually good is my, my club this year has brought in um, a nine-hole medal. And this is maybe they're looking at the amount of people that are participation in the the Saturday medals or the Sunday, or the Tuesday medals, and they're, they're seeing it dropping off. Um, but 
on a every one Saturday a month and one Tuesday a month there's a, a nine hole medal which sounds absolutely ideal for the, the likes of me where I'll be able to yeah. pop in there after work and get in nine holes and actually it's meaningful because I'm <laughs> it's maybe sound up but I struggle to keep uh, my handicap going and even on golf shake I, I only managed 14 rounds of 18 holes last year which doesn't sound a lot when you compare to And actually, a lot of your rounds, obviously yep. we, we speak not just on podcasts, we speak in real life as well. A lot of your rounds are basically guiding the kids around the course as well, isn't it, at the minute? you know. So you're not really focusing on what you're doing at all. So actually, that nine-hole format is fantastic. Mm. Like, I don't know how many clubs do it, but I think not everyone's got four or five hours to to in an 18 hole medal it just doesn't and when when you compare to like some Matt Holbrook playing 86 rounds of golf in a year it's it's uh, quite belittling. but when you think how many nine holes or even six holes I, I tend to get a lot of six holes in on a, a Sunday afternoon with the kids mm-hmm. um, and even as, as I said earlier I had a sore back so the first day I got back I, I decided to jack the golf just for four months just to give it a, a chance to get through it and I've, I've stopped taking painkillers since December which has been excellent and uh, so back in February with a nice wee spell and I got the clubs out but I only decided to take out a seven iron a wedge and a putter and I went out with the kids and there was absolutely no pressure on me to perform I didn't have to hit driver and then it just hitting seven iron off the tee and then hitting a seven iron off the fairway it gets you into a nice rhythm it gets you back into the swing of golf soon so if there's any golf shape members out there who haven't picked up the clubs yet so far just get get yourself out there for nine holes and only take out the three clubs. And if you've if you're standing on a tee with a seven iron, then you're not putting too much pressure on yourself to perform there. And if you end up taking a, a five or a six on a par four, then it it doesn't feel that bad because oh you're like, oh I only had the three the three clubs. But when you end up taking a six when you've had a driver in your hand, then it it does feel a bit of a negative. So that's that's a, a top fuzzy recommendation there. <laughs> <laughs> And, well, you get into such a good rhythm as well, don't you? When you've only got a couple of clubs with you, and you because the expectations are so low, you're nice and relaxed, and you start hitting the ball really well. So, I think there are a lot of benefits to doing that. Playing six holes with a few clubs, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and, actually, and as as I was talking a few key on the other night, yes, I was just saying that, that one of the, one of the things about golf shake is I only ever put in my eighteen holes into golf shake when I. I play a full round in there. <laughs> so just the other night, I found out that you could actually put in uh, rounds less than that. Well, mm-hmm. I, I always knew you could, but I didn't want it. Uh, when you got a page with your, your annual scores and it shows up that, and amongst all the 80s, you've managed to shoot a 50 in there because you only played the 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I never like 10 to just half a round in there, but I actually found that the Golf Shake website lets you do that. You can put in a round and just check the box that says that you don't want to count that towards your Golf Shake handicap, and it, it filters it into a different tab in the screen. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it doesn't muck up your, your annual score. <laughs> no, that, no, that I need any help to muck up my annual score, but there we go. No, no, indeed, indeed. And that's a very nice, shameless plug, plug for golf shake. There, very, very appreciative of that. On and I think, I think that's right. You know, in terms of the, you know, obviously for you, Fuzzy, going out, out there with the boys and playing it and sort of enjoying the atmosphere of golf, and so much of that, I think, is is twilight golf at this time of year. And so many of my favourite memories of playing golf have actually been in the evening. And of course, now we're in the spring; summers are coming. Clocks have obviously went forward and uh, we have evening golf has been restored to our lives. So, you know, Josh, coming to you firstly about evening golf, I mean, how much has 
you know, playing golf at night, when you were growing up, when you were you know, a young adult, now in your you know, late young adult stage that you're in now, how has the <laughs> evening golf been a part of your life? Oh, hugely. Absolutely. Loved it. Every summer, pretty much every summer evening, I would say, uh, when my dad would come and play nine holes, or my mum, or my sister, we, we all all love a bit of golf in, in the Jeffrey family. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, it's the best time of day to play, I would say. I don't know about you guys, but that's my my yeah, favourite totally. time to get out there on a nice summer, especially up where you live, Kieran, in St. Andrews. You're kind of spoiled there for... And, you know, you get that sun kind of creeping over all the, the, the mounds on the fairways. It looks fantastic. So, yeah, that's the, the prime time to play, I would say. I would say Great. so. And, Fuzzy, you had that yeah. chance to see uh, St. Andrews, the old course, on a twilight sort of feel uh, last year. So I imagine that was a particularly magical experience. Yes. Um, actually, it was only when I looked back through the photo I said later around, was we never teed off to like, was it three in the afternoon? We finished it sort of half eight at night. Yeah. Because later than was, that, actually. I, yeah. I didn't I quite uh, appreciate that. But um, yeah, I famously tweet this normally when the kids were there, uh, when the kids were younger, uh, I used to get them, leave my wife with them at eight o'clock and I'd go to my golf club and I'd tee off at half eight at night. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you get round though, can't you? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do it in about two, two, two and a quarter, two and a half hours, and I'd finish off about half ten at night, especially in June, July. And I'd be live tweeting, and there'd be a lot of Americans just playing, going, "What are you doing?" You know, they they, they don't realise how far north we are, and it's it's now become a bit of a tradition with my son because he now comes out of his, and if we tee off about half seven, eight o'clock at night, the two of us can get around by about quarter to eleven, and we've taken some famous pictures of his putting on the 18 fun torchlight using the phones as torches it's just the best it's just putting these memories into the kids are just positive experiences it's just some of the best fun you can have in a golf course is just late at night and you've got the place to yourself i, yeah, I, I don't know why great. anybody else thinks of this it's millionaires golf and so photogenic as well Oh, it cert- certainly is, and who knows? Maybe after listening to this, suddenly the courses will be much busier in the evening. We have a lot of uh, really good twilight deals that we're kind of uh, showcasing on Golf Shake right now. There's so many fantastic courses across the country that you can actually play for an awful lot less than what you would do otherwise. If you play after four pm, I mean, you can have some cracking deals and really experience some true, you know, bucket list courses uh, for an awful lot less and, and tap into that magical experience of playing in, in the gloaming light as you get in the evening. So, gentlemen, I think we have pretty much exhausted uh, the Masters 2019. I mean, the, the talk about that will go on for years to come. It's one that we were certainly lucky to see. You know, I always feel that we were, you know, who knows what to expect. I mean, Tiger's remarkable story has been granted the final chapter it deserved. Uh, the one that we certainly crave as a golf public on this path that we have probably, or we certainly feel that we've shared with him. Uh, I'm not sure he feels that way, though. He feels very individual on his own about it, but we've kind of shared that with him. And I feel we were obviously privileged to witness uh, much of the era of Tiger Woods, and we should be grateful for having seen that magic rekindled one more time. And also for Golf Shake members listening to this podcast, if you're tracking your scores and your stats on Golf Shake during April, you'll be automatically entered into the Connect With Your Game Challenge in association with Cobra Golf. Lots of nice Cobra gear up for grabs there to potentially win, and so many of you are doing so actually in 
record numbers, I have to say, so far this season, which is very, very exciting indeed. So hopefully we can carry that momentum into the spring and obviously right into the summertime as well. So we'd obviously encourage you to keep doing that. But coming to you guys for one last time, uh, Jeff, you first of all. So uh, it's good to have you yeah. back on the podcast. So obviously you are, you're involved in golf. You love, you've love you loved golf for years. You don't play it as much as you did before, but you're always following it. So do you feel after the 2019 Masters, do you feel more optimistic for the game than what you did before? No, no I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I do. I mean, look at where the next two majors are as well. You, you, you mentioned the, the Masters, but Beth Page and then Pebble Beach. And I can think of one guy who's mm-hmm. done quite well there in the past as well. Mm, yeah, no, I am. I think, I, think, I think we're in for a good spell with, with golf. Um, yeah, I mean, it might have happened anyway without Tiger's resurgence, but um, there's, I know, I know how much hard work goes in from a lot of people into golf. So, um, and and how kind of how loyal golfers are as well, and how committed they are to the game. You know, it's not the sort of game really where you just kind of get, kind of flitter in and out of it. You, there's a lot of people who are so they love golf. So, yeah, I'm really positive yeah. about the future and what it's going to bring, and the rest of this year as well. I think we've got three amazing majors coming up, as well as all the other all the other great tournaments we've got. So, yeah, it should be a great, great 2019, I think. I think so too. So, Fuzzy, what are your thoughts on the, the season ahead? What are you most looking forward to in 2019 after this great um, beginning, obviously, with well, the Masters? Just, um, when you were talking about uh, Tiger being back, and I'm hoping we're not putting too many eggs in one basket, but you've got the likes of Brooks coming. I mean, Brooks have won the last three out of the last seven majors. I mean, I know, but it's... Oh, he's an absolute stud. Oh, man. <laughs> and we're, going, we're going off our head with um, <laughs> when Rory won four majors. I mean, Felix is the only one behind. So I think professional golf's in a, a good place, but they, they, they maybe slipped the, the, uh, slipped up when the when Tiger fell away that they didn't have a kind of replacement set up. Maybe they tried a bit with Rory to market him and market mm. golf a bit better, and they, they didn't really come through with it. So maybe Tiger's back and they've... Not only they've they've got this uh, extra window where they can market golf a bit better, but maybe they've now got the time to line up a replacement person to market. Um, But from a a personal point of view, I'm very happy with golf at the moment because a lot of my good experience on the golf course is when I'm not actually playing, which sounds bad, but it's when I'm caddying, it's when I'm out with my, when when I've been walking around (laughs) with the kids. Golf isn't always just about um, uh, mm. whacking the ball about. It's uh, it's nice to get out and have a wee walk about, and uh, I'm I'm certainly getting on. I mean, um, mind you, when you th- when you think about it, there's a forty three a forty three year old uh, small business owner for small back uh, for sore back who just won the the Masters. So if if he can do it, then there's, there's certainly hope for myself. I'm only a, a couple of months behind him, and I've got. Um, all the same credentials apart from uh, 14 majors. <laughs> Stay off the ice rink, Fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to be seen again. Oh, yeah. no. Stay off the ice rink and the home brews and you'll be absolutely fine. I'm never, never staying off the home brew. Yeah, that, that, that could be your tonic to a greater success in the future. <laughs> well, I have to say, I hate golf and I have no idea why I'm here, but there we are. That's another thing. If it wasn't a golf key on, you would never have met us and talked God, to us. There's a, there's a cataclysmic thought right there, isn't it? My goodness. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a very weighty, weighty thing to cut with, my goodness. But, uh, but yes, gentlemen, I've loved having you back in the podcast. We'll do it again at some point very soon. Uh, for this year, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back out and playing, getting my 
you know, relatively issue chronic health problems sorted out and get out playing again. And uh, as I'm trying to endeavour right now, hopefully that will be sorted out and I actually go out and enjoy the, the wonderful St Andrews links this season and obviously follow this, this great game too. I think actually one highlight this year we haven't touched on will be the Open Championship at Royal Portrush. I mean, that has been extra, extra tickets for that went on sale at the start of this week and they were sold out very quickly. So we're going to have over 43,000 people there every single day. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful showcase for golf in Northern Ireland and really for Ireland as a whole and uh, a real celebration for the game, one that I am looking forward to tremendously. So as I say, get involved this month with Connect With Your Game and of course just generally interact with golf shape, track your scores, track your stats, find your tee times and review the courses that you've played and uh, try and get those highly recommended stickers onto the course you love more than any other. As always on Golf Shape, we want you to play more and play better. My name is Kieran Clark and I was joined on this special bank holiday edition of the Golf Shape podcast by Stuart Armstrong and Josh Jeffrey. Until next time, thank you for 